Welcome to the Integrated Schools Podcast. I'm Andrew, a white dad from Denver. And I'm Courtney, a white mom from Los Angeles. We're back with season two. This is episode 10, Why My Choice Matters, Taking Back the Playground. We're going to call this season two because... I don't know. We're kind of making this up as we go along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we released some episodes. We took a break. Now we have some more episodes. So yeah, season two. Season two it is. Actually, Andrew, I'm really excited because we have a lot of good stuff planned and great interviews lined up. We talked with Elizabeth McRae, who penned Mothers of Massive Resistance. Yep. We had a great conversation with Allison Rhoda, who's a researcher who's looked at gifted and talented and segregation, how those all go together and... And we've got some more conversations with voices you've heard before. So Yeah, I'm really excited about the upcoming episodes. There's a lot to talk about regarding integration and segregation and a lot more that we're wanting to dig into. So, um, yeah, we're grateful for you all digging in with us. So today we brought Denise back. Uh, we're going to kick the season off with sort of a, a basic question. You know, we talked a lot in season one about the benefits of integration, but we kind of want to dig into why. Like, why does your choice matter? What does one white underprivileged kid in a global majority or a socioeconomically disadvantaged school do? Why does it really matter? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, why having skin in the game, even if it's just one kid, does that really make a difference in the system, right? Why does that make a difference? How does it make a difference in the system? I think it's a good a good conversation. And, you know, with all of these topics, we're trying to walk a pretty fine line between saviorism and resignation, right? Like that just by showing up, we'll either save these schools yeah. or we'll just give up, throw our hands up and say, I can't possibly change this huge, horrible, structurally racist system. So I'm not going to try. I'm just going to get the best I can for my kid. Yeah, it's a tricky one. As always, I'm sure we'll screw it up along the way. <laughs> In the meantime, let's hear the conversation. We're um, very glad to be joined once again by Denise. Hey, Denise. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you back. Why do you think your choice matters, Denise? I think that's a big question. So You've got 30 seconds, so just... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when we're talking about, you know, just my choice as a parent to send my child to an integrating school in a vacuum, you know, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference. But I think it's as a collective, an aggregate, as we're increasingly getting to that point is where it does start to make a difference. I think it's important to distinguish here between making a difference in the system and making a difference in a school and making a difference for our own kids. Yeah. Because these aren't really the same things at all, right? In the context of why our choices matter, it matters in each of these, at each of these different levels, but sort of in a different way at each of them. Yeah. So I think when we, you know, generally talk about making a difference, we're speaking about this larger impact in the world outside of ourselves, right? Something that Nicole Hannah-Jones has said that has really meant a lot to me when I think about my individual choice as it relates to school in particular is not about saving any particular person or any particular school, but about resource and power hoarding. So um, if I make the choice to send my child to an integrating school as you know, a white person in the society and I'm showing up humbly, that choice can have the effect of sharing resources and releasing some of that power. 
I think that's one piece of why my choice matters. And again, I think there's a lot of other components to that, you know, but I think that's, that's one of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're, as you're talking about the resources piece, I think that, you know, there's, there's an aspect of sharing. It's also to me about not, um, not concentrating resources yes. to like white segregated schools or privileged segregated schools. No, I think that's, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like the, I think one of the main benefits of choosing integration is that you are pushing back against the concentration of whiteness and the concentration of privilege. My white kid showing up in, in a global majority school is not magical, does not all of a sudden make other kids learn better or something. <laughs> but, but my not contributing to concentrations of privilege, I think it has a, has a more immediate impact. So like the choices we make as individual parents, it's not about solving segregation or curing racism by our little selves, right. but it's, it's the choice to not contribute to the problem. So choosing to send our kids to an integrating school is a vote against concentrations of whiteness and privilege. It disperses resources. It disperses power. Yeah. I suppose if you use the word sharing, I think it's in the sense of acknowledging the privilege that white people have in society and that it's morally questionable to continue to hoard that power and making choices to support maintaining that power. Mm. Yeah. So I think the word sharing is perhaps used in that context of just acknowledging that that's how things have been, unfortunately, but maybe dispersing, maybe that is a better word to use, that you're just, you're going against that history. But just to play the devil's advocate, you know, you don't have that much power, Denise. Andrew, I definitely know you don't have that much power. <laughs> so, so like, as, as one individual person or one individual family, you know, are you really doing anything at all? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that I, Denise, have power sounds absurd to me. But for listening to other people talk about the way that race manifests in our culture and just having to own the fact, again, that there is that privilege that has come with whiteness. So even though it, it feels absurd, at the same time, I think I have to just acknowledge that. And, and I think that even though, you know, us as individual people in our bubbles may not see it on a day-to-day -day basis, that when a white person at a school says the playground needs to be fixed or whatever, that administrators tend to listen more than if a non-white person does it. It's terrible. But it's true. You're right, Denise. Like, we feel like we don't have power, but absolutely do. And it's that unearned privilege, you know, and in many ways, it's not so much privilege as it is debt. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a whole other podcast topic there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's it. But I think part of the essence of privilege is not needing to see it, and it's thinking that we don't have the power we actually do have, right? The the individual impact that you and your one kid have on any given school might be negligible. You know, I mean, I think you can choose to get involved, and if you choose to get involved in a healthy way showing up with humility and becoming part of the community. I, I think there's no question that the way society works, adding your white or privileged voice to the demands for improvements to a school makes a big difference. It shouldn't make a big difference, but it does make a big difference. You know, I mean, I think it speaks to how important it is 
the ways that we show up in integrating spaces because you know with with great power comes great responsibility right like you can show up in these spaces and demand things that are seem good for you or seem good for your kid that may not actually be good for the whole community and that's why i think we you know we talk a lot about how you show and show up makes a big difference so that you are not showing up as a savior the power is there no matter what how you choose to use it is what matters you're showing up humbly you're listening and also you're just bringing your kid to school every day you know, I think it was something that you know, Lauren had talked about in the last uh, part one of the only one. At some level, you're, you're just kind of bringing your kid to school every day, and it, you know, it's not something that needs to be so overthought. When my son was in kindergarten in Dallas at an integrating school, uh, there was a family that almost also came to the school. They're not white, but they're affluent. Um, they, they were zoned for that school. And at the last minute, they ended up opting out and went to the popular school. The privileged popular school. The, the privileged, increasingly white popular school. And the father had said to me, well, I'm still going to fundraise for my neighborhood school, and I'm still going to advocate for my neighborhood school, and I still want it to do well, and what happened. Of course he didn't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't discourage people from doing that. E even the best intentioned people maybe don't do it as much just because bandwidth is limited. And so if, if you spend time in any school, you will find some needs at that school. I don't think there's any school out there who's like, no, no, we're good. We've got everything we need. But even if you are committed to doing it for sort of the other school or the school around the, down the block, around the corner or whatever, what's the downside to that mindset? I mean, I think to me, it, it's much more difficult to actually build meaningful relationships, but it's much more about this, you know, charity piece. It, it maintains power structures and it says, I, I, I'm not going to be a part of you, but I'll give you some cash. Yeah. There's also a piece of it where like, I will give you what I think you need. Right. You don't, your school doesn't look like mine. So I will like give you the things to make your school look more like mine. I think the fact that all schools have needs or perceived needs is pretty spot on. Yeah, the schools always perceive they always have needs. Right. Some of them have less. I mean, even in the example I gave of that father who at the last minute they opted out of the, their neighborhood school for the popular school, that school, the fundraising there is tens of thousands of dollars every year, whereas the school that my son had gone to kindergarten had uh, basically no PTA. And there were some people in the community that wanted to try to get the popular school to share some of the extra with my son's neighborhood school, as well as some other neighborhood schools. Um, these are schools where the, they run out of paper at you know, some point during the school year kind of thing, right? Oh my gosh, the biggest fight within that community was unleashed. It was ugly. They had no interest in sharing. Yeah. The perceived need thing is really critical, and it makes me think of the, you know, the whole broken school story, too. Like, we're all part of the system that is tremendously underfunded, but, yeah, some of us are under, under, underfunded. I mean, that's definitely a whole other podcast, for sure, that's in the works of, you know, PTA fundraising and the inequities brought about by that. But, like, why does your choice matter in that situation is because it's much easier to say— well, no, no, I'm, we, we need to keep this for ourselves when the kids at the other school are, quote unquote, those kids. And the more people who have kids who make you think of your own kids, 
who are at that school, the harder it is to say, no, no, those kids don't deserve that. And that's what it is, right? It's like, no, like those kids at that school don't deserve that. We deserve it and they don't. I think people make a lot of excuses around it to try to not feel that way. Well, they should raise it themselves. I mean, that's how it manifested in this particular story. Yeah. They, If they want to have an arts program like us, they should have an auction like we have and raise $150,000 in a night because if they cared enough, they would. And I think the more that you see people who are like you at that school, the harder it is to write that school off as full of people who are sort of different from you or, or less deserving. There's sort of two pieces of this in my mind. One is the sort of individual kid. What does your one individual choice mean? But so many of these things, the the local policy is very relevant. You know, there's some school districts do a good job of making their schools less segregated than the neighborhoods. Not that many of them, but there are some who are doing it. A lot of school districts make their schools even more segregated than their neighborhoods. There are policies that, that can be enacted to move the integration needle one direction or the other what difference does it make to have more families attending integrated schools when those policy conversations start to happen yeah i mean it's a nicely leading question andrew (laughs) thank you and i really appreciate that look we have had policy attempts since brown v board right maybe half-hearted in most places And in most of those instances, white and privileged families have thwarted them. And if we're actually going to be serious about ensuring that good policy stands, we need people who will stand for it. We need, you know, people running for school board who believe in this. I think without skin in the game, it's really, really, really hard to build a constituency. And I think if we can look at the history of what's happened to policy, it's been you know, the resistance to desegregation wins. And so as long as we are segregating by choice, we are the resistance to desegregation. Yeah, I mean, if we think that policy is the only way to get this done, we will never get there, right? I mean, like the, 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 the real need is in a cultural shift. It's in, around thinking about equity. It's around the way we think about integration. I think Chris Stewart back in episode five really said this well. We need to have the big cultural shift we also need to have courageous policy together, um, and that is where the, the power lies. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the really important part, the critical part of why our choices matter is exactly this. We need to take back the playground. All the conversations around good and bad schools and being a good and bad parent that we have and, you know, this metaphorical playground. Birthday parties, preschool pickups, social media, the like parenting groups, all, all the yeah. places that we are parents and we talk about parenting. Yeah. Those are the playground. That's right. That's right. And we can change those, right? Like if we start thinking about what all we really mean when we say the things we say, if we're asking questions of what our white and privileged parent friends really mean when they say the things they say even when these are like implicit and unexamined biases i mean what we do know is that is that white people listen to white people about just about everything but certainly about schools and about parenting yeah 
And when some legislator dude tells me where to send my kid to school, and we all know that his kid goes to whatever St. John's of the Performing Arts Oaks and Sycamore <laughs> Private School, I think that he's doing his legislative job on me. But when we as mm. parents begin talking differently about good and bad schools, I think that changes the game. Yeah, and I think that that leads to this idea of the you know the difference between desegregation and integration. Yeah, and and we have to keep those separate because sure. desegregation is about enrolling, and integration is about how we show up. Yeah, what do we do when we get there? And and I think policy can try to do desegregation. We've we've tried, Courtney. You said rightly we we've made a pretty good mess of doing that. <laughs> right. But integration has to start at the bottom. It has to be about people. It has to be about us. You know there. There are systems that can help facilitate that, and we can we can demand that districts do a better job, and that can help. But unless we're doing it at the ground level, unless we're really doing integration, not just desegregation, yeah. it's hard to it's hard to see how that happens. We have to be the ones to show up for equity. Well, yes, we do, but in partnership with parents of color and led by parents of color. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think the you know the cultural shift is how our choices, right? Like in where we send our kids, and how we feel about it, and how we behave in those spaces, and how we talk about it at the playground. Like that's what matters. Yeah, that's why our individual choices matter. I wish that more people could just see how from segregated spaces that can create an equitable education, how that persistent poverty, these things in our society. Again, it's not, it doesn't just hurt those people over there. It, it hurts all of us. It impacts all of our ability for economic prosperity. It, it does. Yeah, totally true, right? I mean, it, it doesn't hurt us all in the same way, right? Like yeah. growing up in poverty, living in poverty, struggling in poverty, especially simply because of racial oppression is, I would guess is, is much worse than the way that poverty affects me and my property values and my home and whatever. But but certainly all of us are affected by it and we all benefit when we address it. Even if you aren't compelled by that moral argument, which I wish we all were, mm -hmm. but even if you aren't, there's another piece of it that income inequality, segregation, oppression, it, it really does impact all of us. It impacts you too. Right. You can't you can't avoid it. Just simply choosing the quote unquote good school does not mean that you have avoided the negative impacts of there being a quote unquote bad school. Yeah, like we as a society would want all children to be well educated for the future economic prosperity. And even I mean, I would argue even beyond economics, right? Like for the future sort of overall global well-being of our society, for people who can get along with each other, people who can find humanity with each other to have a thriving community. We, we need everybody to be able to thrive. Yeah. You know, I fear when we talk about things too large scale that it sounds fluffy or something like that. But I think it's serious. There's been a lot of talk on the Facebook group and some interesting emails that we've gotten that's really challenging the question of whether integration is going to fix anything, right? Mm -hmm. If your choice matters because it will potentially lead to more policy that leads to more integration, is that even a worthwhile goal? We heard from Chris Stewart, like, yep. and, and I don't disagree, right? My, my white kid isn't providing any magic. And so, you know, our like pat answer right now is, well, resources, 
And we know that green follows white and it, it's horrible, but that's where we are. And so we are not going to be a part of anything where we're concentrating white and green into another building. Mm -hmm. So my one white kid isn't providing the magic in and of himself or herself, but they're bringing in potential resources. And not sending those resources to some other place where there is already a concentration of them. That's right. Yeah. And we've also talked about the potential for building generations of people who have gone to school with each other, mm -hmm. you know, ideally in very meaningfully integrated spaces where everybody is honored and valued. That matters also. Right. But, you know, like all of this is really a long game. Yeah. Right. Like my one kid is making zero difference. He's not improving the quality of education in that school. My daughter's not improving the quality of education in that school. That being said, it really does make a huge difference in the long run because all of these systems that we like to talk about, these structurally racist systems, are propped up absolutely by individual choices. Those structural systems exist because we allow them to and we perpetuate them. And I don't know how we can really believe in equity if we are saying separate is equal if we make sure to be nice and share. Right. History has shown that we're not going to be nice and share all the time. We'll have fits of niceness. Yeah, we'll have fits of niceness, particularly when we feel like there is excess. Yeah. That it's not actually costing us anything, that we will give the extras to somebody else. That's right. But not something that is meaningful. And that, I think, I mean, the long game of this is important, right? Like the, the choices that we make today are part of the history and lead us to the future. Yeah. And that future is you know, probably not next Thursday, but... But that doesn't mean that, that it doesn't matter either. Yeah. I mean, to require that our choices result in like swift, profound, invisible impact is like, right. you know, hostage to an immediate gratification mindset. Like as parents, yeah. <laughs> we're constantly making decisions that toggle between like, you know, the short term and the, the long term. Like, no, you cannot play Legos in the middle of the street. Seems like a pretty immediate parenting thing to right. you know to correct not because not because 20 years from now they're going to redevelop that street in <laughs> into like some condos but because you're going to die <laughs> right but like a lot of what we do as parents are like like lessons that make little laramie a better person right and so those aren't these immediate things you're not going to notice right away no no i think it's a i think it's a timeline question there's there are immediate benefits to be gained from schools becoming more integrated and those immediate benefits are, you know, relevant to your kid. And, you know, like Denise said, there are things that are beneficial to the community and beneficial. Everybody has skin in the game, whether they know it or not. And there are ways to improve schools immediately by sending even just one other kid there that have to do with sort of the structures of our society. Then there's the piece of it that is sort of bigger picture, long run. We have taken a long time to get as segregated as we are. We have had a long time to try to, you know, create a society that is less racist, and we have not done a very good job of that. To me, you know, this the, the argument about, well, you have to wait for housing policy to change, or you have to wait for people to just in general be less racist. Like, to me, the reason that, that we should care about the schools is because the schools are actually a place where we have the ability to, even if we don't always do it, we have the ability to create meaningful relationships and create shared humanity and in a way that that we don't have in uh, housing policy that we don't have in you know even in 
the workplace in these various other places that we interact. It's it's the opportunity with young children who have not yet learned all of the ways that society tells them they should think about things like race. If if we get them then, then there's a chance that they do better and that their kids do better and that their kids do better. And that to me is the the long, slow game of trying to improve our society, trying to make our country a better place. There are so many areas where race and privilege affect daily lives, but the schools seem like the best chance to to get in there and disrupt that. They're supposed to be the great equalizer. We know they're not. I mean, that's why we're talking about this. That's why there's an, an organization called Integrated Schools. Mm-hmm. But they're a, it, it's a public good that we as taxpayers pay for, for all children. And then, But also, as you're talking about this being a long game, I just want to, again, reiterate the fact that the white and or privileged children that are attending these integrating schools their outcomes are unchanged by where they happen to be sitting. So, yeah, we're talking about resources and sharing resources with these schools and kind of this long game, but it's not some sacrifice of these children. They're going to be they're going to be okay. So, I think that's another another piece that kind of gets thrown back in as well is that well there's this long game, but but what about my kid? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to do as well. And we can see from the data that that's that's not true on the whole. You know, there'll be exceptions to that that you may see for a, a particular situation, for a particular need, or something like that. But on the whole, yeah, I think right. The the potential benefits are probably greater than we think, and the potential downsides are less than we think. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot, right? Like, in what ways have we sacrificed? In what ways are we not sacrificing, but we're actually benefiting? And if we talk too much about how we benefit then that's just another kind of opportunity hoarding. And if we only talk about how we sacrifice, then that's just like a real quick trip into white savior land. Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, trying to walk this line, the the nuance of it is hard, right? Because, you know, if, if we're talking about how our choices matter for our kids, I want my kids to benefit from integration. Like I, I want them to grow as human beings from the experience of being around kids who come from a different background than they do eat too far down that road. And now it's like, I, I just need enough black and brown kids in my student's life to check off the box of, you know, they are now they are now good people. And now I've like commodified black and brown students, right? Yeah. I don't want my kid to be a jerk. And so I need to get them just enough of the other kind of kids in their lives to check that box off. But then, you know, the, the flip side of it is like, I, I'm here I am your savior. Right. We only want to talk about like how my choice matters to unravel structural racism. Then like all of a sudden here I am on my on my white horse to save everybody and, and I become a righteous white savior. You know, I think it's like it's it's both good for your kid and good for country, but neither too much. It's a it's a tough line to walk. Statistically speaking, your white privileged kid is gonna grow up to be white privileged. Right. And, and you know, and like we're talking here about the whatever, 90% of kids who are batch educatable. At least. Yeah, yeah. I'm just making up numbers right, because yeah. it's Thursday and I can just make up a number. Right. We don't have a fact checker on this podcast. So. But, you know, whatever the huge, huge number is of kids who are batch educatable, that's our goal. These are the people who can and who should be involved in this endeavor well but i i would i would say like i I certainly don't know what that number actually is you know are there some kids who can't be educated in 
that may, you know, maybe we just haven't gotten good enough at educating kids yet. I'm not sure that I fully agree with the premise that there are some kids who can't be educated in a public school system, but maybe. But I would argue that that number is going to decrease the more integrated your schools get. That the more your schools have to deal with educating different kids, the better they're going to get at educating different kids. So whether that's race or socioeconomic status or learning ability, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Right. Which is why, like, ov overall, the educational system improves for everybody with integration. So we've had 65 years of policy, and we're not really any better off than when we started. And we have never really, as white and privileged families, embraced deeply what meaningful integration is. We've talked a little bit about desegregation, and then we've thrown some Coke bottles, and we've, you know, protest busing. Right. And we've, you know, seceded from districts, but we actually haven't really grappled with what meaningful integration is. So for the 90% of kids who are batch educatable and their families, is it not time to rethink what meaningful integration could be and making that first step into it? It's, you know, it's not going to be pretty for a while because we're, we don't know what we're doing. We've never done this before. Right. Right. Like, like we've never really like as, as a nation. Right. We've never really done this before. We haven't designed any systems with equity in mind. We've never done a good job of that. Right. And, and, and even when we weren't even trying to be equitable, we were just doing desegregation. Right. You know, where, where the white folks still won because it was the black folks who got bust to, you know, in large measure. Right. Right. You know, we still got pissy about it. If we just actually started showing up and then, you know, maybe trying in some ways to do this well, better, you know, like, like really building out a different way of thinking of what this could mean, then, then we can, we, we can really tackle policy in a different way. And it isn't this injurious, you know, horrifying thing that feels like, like another oppressive colonizing structure. Mm-hmm. Right, but this is actually building the world we want our kids to be adults in and messing up along the way. Yeah, and I think um, we can talk just about if there are any kids who can't be educated in the public school system or I something like that. I just don't think it matters. Like, we don't need, we don't need 100% of people to do this tomorrow. Right. We're just trying to, like, leverage much different ways of talking about this than white people have done in the past. And I think what we need is for people to stop using that as an excuse, whether it's because of a learning challenge or they're a prodigy, <laughs> whatever it is on, this, on these different ends of the spectrum. That's a big ask, though. I mean, that's, that's why we have to change how the conversation happens, because there's very little pushing back against that sense that my kid is special and so needs special things. I just feel like we're at a really good time it's easy to see to point at why this is all just such a train wreck, but I'm just seeing so many things happening in different places, like culturally speaking, and and I think one of those is this kind of pushback against every child is so special, but my child is specialist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm hearing more and more in the playground, yeah, my kid's normal, or yeah, my kid's I don't know, 
an average student. <laughs> like, like you don't have to just make up how your kid is super spectacularly wonderful. And maybe mm-hmm. I just go to, you know, average kid playgrounds. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> like the playgrounds for the second best. Take back the playground, right? Here's like a real opportunity right now. Take it back. That's right. Um, Wait, you're still having that same call. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, but you're still having that same call. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, we just had to leave that ending in. Denise's <laughs> son coming in shocked that she could still be on the same phone call. <laughs> yeah, we can talk and talk and talk, kid. And yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I like the way this conversation kind of touched on the three levels where our choices can make a difference, right? Like you have the my kid level, and that's really about trying to raise good, decent human beings who have found shared humanity with people who are different. Yeah, and then like the school level where you know, maybe, maybe we're moving the needle a bit on some resources, but but we're also, I guess, I would say more importantly, not contributing to the concentration of privilege. Yeah. And then I think sort of like the broadest level, like so the systemic difference is really about building a shift in culture, yeah. right? And this culture piece is huge. So, you know, on the one hand, it all has to do with kind of taking back the playground, right? With how we as parents talk about schools, equity, educational justice, with our friends and neighbors, and it's about changing that smog, right? Yeah, but then, you know, I think the other side of it is actually about policy, right? It's about, but it's about doing policy in a way that we haven't done it before. It's about doing policy in a way that, um, you know, elevates voices of color, that that lets yeah. communities of color take the lead and uses our voices to amplify those voices. And, and that's something that we just haven't really done before and that we can't do without being part of those communities. Yeah. So the playground work is building that constituency for policy work. And so, like, we kind of think that this playground stuff is unrelated, but in fact, I think they're absolutely intertwined. Yeah, I think that's right. But, you know, thinking about this conversation we just listened to, I think it also, it brought to mind something that, something I know you've been thinking about a lot, Courtney, right? We've heard on Facebook, we've heard in some private conversations that I've had with parents and through some emails that we do this, like you and I on this podcast to do this in a really binary way, right? Like yeah. you are either showing up in a global majority school and doing integration or you're part of the problem. Yeah. You're like the injustice apocalypse. <laughs> right. And so are there places that aren't at either of these polls? Like, is this a question that can be answered in a continuum or is this really a binary and I struggle with it because, like, I am totally inclined to love a continuum. I, I worry about the messaging around it because I, I think as soon as you say there are some circumstances where you shouldn't find the global majority school and send your kid there because, like, every situation is different, then all of a sudden there's a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Like, my, I'm the one whose situation is different. And, like, if there's a, you know, a big online movement, I might sign a petition but like, I'm not going to actually move my kid because I'm the exception. You want to give space for them. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the greater good is. That's, that's my dilemma. I don't know what the greater good is. I don't know if it's better to leave space for them and have them, you know, be sort of obliquely on board. Or if 
by by giving that space, we we lose more people who might otherwise make a different choice. Yeah, I think the tension is around what's the best way to achieve the goals of integrated schools, right? Like is a big shaky table better than a small, really solid table? Like what, what, what do you want, Courtney? We need to have a bigger table. Like we need to have more people at this table pushing for educational justice. And so yeah. by saying the price of admission is that your kid go, you know, your white and or privileged kids attend this kind of global majority school with no more than X number of white and or privileged children that exceed the, you know, the demographics that reflect the city. Like when when we create these barriers, we're also making a really small table. I don't think we should do that. At the same time, like. At the same time, it's also nonsense, right? Like at the same time, when we are saying, I don't believe in inequity, but yeah, I mean, separate can be equal. I believe in this, just not for me. Yeah. Seems like you're kind of a terrible guest. Like, I don't want you at my table. table. Yeah. Like you're just the guy who's going to eat the brownies and not help with the dishes. That might be a girl. I'm just saying, you know, hashtag not all men. (laughs) The, you know, the number of people who are going to up and change the decision they already made is is a really small table. So what we're really talking about is how do we get the the people with who are thinking about having kids, the people who have 18 month olds, you know, how do we get them to start thinking about this in a different way? And in that regard, I think I think the more people we have talking about these things, the better. I think the 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 message is much stronger and more compelling to say, you know, look at the choice that I made. You too could make this choice. But but that's not the only way that the message gets across. Just simply trying to change the way we talk about good schools and bad schools. I'm in a really nice school, but when you say good school or bad school, I can still be like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Like the, that's those are helpful allies to have, right? And so so like combating the yeah. smog has lots of different voices from lots of different places. So Right. So then the question is like, are you listening to someone who says, do what I say, but not what I do? Like, I, I mean, I think the, the conversation has changed. The way we talk about this has changed in the past couple of years, right? And in those past couple of years, there's a lot of people who are already at schools that are now sort of thinking about them in a different way. I think that's right. I think that, you know, I struggle with the, the complicity piece. And I think I'm also struggling with a a little bit of believing in this mythical person. These people who believe in equity and educational justice are making, for whatever reason, different choices for their own families, but are showing up, let's say, at this board meeting. You're saying that those folks are also inhabiting the park and they're having different conversations at the playground and they're part of. A, a different way of talking. Are, are, are there that many of those people? I know a bunch of them. Okay. There are a number of people at the nice school around the corner who are concerned about the state of the nice school around the corner because it, you know, schools change. And that school has been considered nice for long enough to now no longer be diverse. And so what they thought they were getting into when their oldest kid started a couple of years ago is not what the school is now. And so they're getting involved in the neighborhood to try to help and try to change 
the inequities that exist in the neighborhood, yeah, they could they could pull their kids out. But like, I just feel like that's a much bigger ask than getting them to show up. Like me shouting on the street corner at the parents of that school doesn't change anything. But like a parent from that school being like changing the way they talk about the other schools in the neighborhood in that school community, that makes a difference. Yep. And that's a way easier team to be on. And and that's essentially separate, but equal. And they're saying separate, but it should be equal. No, but no, I don't know. But I mean, I don't think they are. I mean, I think that, you know, to, to imagine that everybody's school choice is made in their moment of greatest clarity (laughs) and that schools are stable is, is, is is foolish, right? right? Like people's decisions get made in the context of whatever they are in when they make them. And then people's understanding about what's going on changes. And the only way people's understanding about what's going on changes is because they're showing up and they're, and they're part of a community like this, right? Like there is a huge bubble at the nice school around the corner of people who don't even know that there are other schools in the neighborhood or that they have struggles. There are genuinely good people committed to social justice who are at that school who simply don't know about what is going on in the rest of the neighborhood. And if they become aware of it, we'll be concerned about it and we'll want to do something about it. Will they want to uproot their kid from class in the middle of the year and send them to another school? Probably not. But like, you know, for the most part, they will just become interested in a, the school has changed recently. Can we start to change it back the other way? And then B, like, what can we do in the meantime to try to try to level the playing field somewhat? I think we need those people. Yeah, I think so too. I just think we need to be honest about how deep this how deep this work is. I, I guess I lean more towards leaving space because there are people out there who, for whatever reason, are not making a choice to send their kids to a global majority school who are not opting into integration, but who are still actively involved in, you know, changing the smog in changing the ways we talk about schools. Maybe this is where, maybe this is the the creation of space, right? Is that the choice to do something about it can come in lots of forms. Yeah. But we also have to understand what what those forms look like and what they what they mean. Like we can't hide behind. Maybe it's this, right? Like, you know, I I, I don't want to be a part of a world that gives you a pass. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's like that com- that that complicity. I, I I need to know when I walk into a supermarket and have left my tote bags in my car and I'm too lazy to go back out and get them, I need to, I need to deal with that choice. You have to come to terms with that and you have to be, you have to make the, make an informed decision. I'm not, you know, like, I don't think we're saying you have to do this. I think we're saying you can't hide behind what you are doing one way or another. You know, on a personal level, who knows what your sort of particular circumstances and what your, you know, internal family dynamics and all the other things that go into making the decision that you end up having to make for your kid. I get that. And I don't want to minimize the realness of those challenges. I guess I think I think it is what you just said. It's do we want to give space to that in this sort of public forum? Right. Right. I mean, I feel like, you know, like good white people make make other white people feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Courtney. 
this is uh, something we continue to struggle with. So please send us an email. Let us know what you think. Hello at integratedschools.org. And check out our brand new, newly updated website. Yay. Yeah, so there's been a lot going on since our last episode, even though it was the holidays. So we have a new website. We have the Tutor Pledge. Our Facebook group is growing every day. There's a new book club starting soon. Lots is going on. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's always good to hear from our listeners. So uh, we got a nice voice memo from Colleen sharing a bit about why she cares about integration. Hi, my name is Colleen. I'm a white mom from Los Angeles. Integrated education is important to me because I want my kids to be members of the community they live in. And I've come to realize that there are no neutral choices when it comes to upholding systemic racism. You're either actively working against it or you're supporting it. There is no neutral. And sending my kids to an integrating school is probably the most effective way that I can try to work against that system. Thank you, Colleen. As always, you can send us your voice memos. Hello at integratedschools.org. Yep. And thanks to everyone who has emailed, rated, reviewed. We appreciate your feedback. It means a lot. And we are grateful to be in this with you all as we try to know better and do better. See you next time.